1: Looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
2: There are a lot of shepherds that are out there in this world that are false teachers, and you probably can listen to them on the radio, you can watch them on television. And they're really into that prosperity gospel, we might say. They're the ones into the health and the wealth. They're the ones, if you listen very carefully after you've gone through Scripture to see what Scripture has to say about false teachers, you will find that their teaching does not match up to Scripture. And at the end of it all, there's a bit of self-exaltation by the one who is teaching. It is one that is generally about money, and it's usually a great deal about selfishness all back to them, false teachers. Now, if you will... Drop a little bit further down on the passage because I want you to see how then in the sovereignty of God, he is planning to provide for his people. He said, I'm the shepherd, but he's also planning the better shepherd for the future, the good shepherd. And look, if you will, at verse 23 of Ezekiel 34. He says, then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. Now that is... Referring to the Messiah. So when he talks to David, the Jews knew that out of the line of David would come the Messiah. So this is an extension of David. And he says, and he will feed them. He will feed them, and I like this, himself. So the Lord says, I will actively get involved in making sure that my people are fed and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. In other words of saying, I, my Messiah, will be the king among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Well, my friend, I want you to know that we live in a world that there's a lot of false teaching out there. And I love you, and I want you to know that I am concerned for any of you that might be a sheep, a loving, tender, caring sheep that would be so influenced by a false teacher that could come in by way of radio, magazines, books, television dvds in any way scripture says more than once by more than one writer all underneath the inspiration of the holy spirit this is very important that there are false teachers on the outside that will want to come in to draw the sheep away as well as there are false teachers among the flock that also would want to draw people away from the truth and that's why i urge you to know god's word carefully and correctly Well, that's the contrast about it, but why would we now be able to trust in the Good Shepherd? We can leave Ezekiel and let's go back to the Gospel of John, John chapter 10. And let's go back here and see two primary reasons of why we could trust this great and wonderful shepherd. And for some of you that might be feeling like, you know, you have no relationship with people. It seems like all your relationships break down with one another. It seems like you you enter into one and it just falls apart on you. And you might be going home alone a lot. You might be in a relationship now that you cannot get out of. And yet you still feel that, you know, there's no hope for you. I would like to offer you that no matter what situation you might be in, without the healthiest of relationship, that you can have a relationship with the Lord, the Good Shepherd. And that's why this passage, again, is reminding us of how good the Good Shepherd is and why we can trust Him. And it just is possible that when you develop that right relationship with the Lord and you have those inner needs met by Him, that the strength will now come for you to have a greater understanding of Scripture that will help you to navigate better with all the people in your life that very well in many cases help enrich, encourage, and even improve your relationships that you might have. So I'd like to encourage you with that. Well, let's go back to the passage and let's look at some other things in here that might be of great help to you. You know, when we talk about that, we can trust the Good Shepherd. The one thing we can trust about him is his character. When we say we want to trust someone, obviously what we want to trust about him as things about him that make him trustworthy, which would be his character. But we don't have time to unpack all the character of God, although we know he's loving and kind and righteous and pure and holy and merciful and gracious. But in this passage, there are some very important things we could learn. So let's go back to it again. And here's the first thing we might be able to see out of his character that makes him so trustworthy. And that is the fact that he really loves his sheep. If you will, follow along a little bit further now with me in verse 14. The Lord goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. Remember, that's the four of the seven identifications about himself that he says. He says, I am the good shepherd. And then he goes on to say, I know my own and my own know me. You might want to circle the word know there. Some of you might know that sometimes in Scripture, it's also a word for intimacy. So it's not just I kind of know them casually, or I know that person, he's tall, he's short, he's stocky, he's thin, he's male, he's female, he's that ethnic group. No, when the word know there, it's in a Greek that means that the Lord intimately knows everything about you. So maybe for you, for some of you, you might think nobody really knows. You're right. Maybe nobody else knows. But if they don't know, the most important being in your life that needs to know you is the Lord. And he knows everything about you. And I might add this. Those of you who know the Lord, you now have an inner capacity to have an intimate relationship with the Lord. Listen, an intimate relationship with the Lord that no other human being who doesn't know Christ as Savior could ever have. That that is that is critical. If you know Christ as Savior, you have the Holy Spirit within you. That Spirit, Him, bears witness with the Lord. You now have the capacity to understand Scripture. You have the capacity now to deal with the things in your life like sin. You now have power so that now you can have that intimacy, so you can know the Lord, not just about the Lord. The lost cannot do that. Sometimes I think about some of our young people that often go off to our secular universities And sometimes we will pick and choose some of these secular schools and some of them are better than others. And some of the reasons that they might go to those schools is the quality of the education or the particular degree program or all the other things around that to help that young person to become a fully um, developed citizen in our world to make a major contribution intellectually to be able to add value to the world. And that's all great. And so we pick a school like that, and sometimes we'll pick a school that might have a little bit of sprinkling in there, what we might call um, maybe Christian liberal arts in there. And so there will be some of that, and I applaud all of that, and I'm not here speaking against or for, but I want to just remind you that when you go to a school and you're thinking that school is filled with Christian people, because they can talk about the Bible does not mean that they know the author of the Bible intimately, and that's why it's important for us to make sure that when we're even going to sit underneath people, one of the big questions to know is, does that person really know Christ? So a person can talk scripture, but that doesn't mean, again, that he has an intimate relationship with the Lord. You can have that as a believer in Jesus Christ. So what does he do? First of all, in this passage, it tells me he really loves his sheep. Oh, how much to know how much God really loves you and me. You know, um, sometimes it's very hard, and I don't want to get too psychological, but I think this is important. I know it is. Some people have a hard time knowing that God really loves them because back in their mind, they grew up in a home where they never experienced genuine love. Now, the word might have been thrown around, but there wasn't that genuine caring, shepherding, nurturing, the proper balance of love, in discipline, in kindness, an explanation. The basic needs of being warm and fed were not met in that child's life. So as they grow, it is very difficult for them to relate to the Lord, and here's why. When they begin to hear about the Lord, they know that he is, quote, the man upstairs. They know he's the big guy. In other words, they know that he's an authority figure. And so if they had no ability to connect to an earthly authority figure, then what they do is they transfer Transfer means that they take now what they thought subconsciously and consciously of what an authority figure is like, and they now transpose that on and they transfer it to God. And so they begin to see God as whatever authority figure they had in their life. And so some people have a very difficult time, even as a believer in Christ, to sort through who God is, and they struggle with that. And perhaps some of you grew up without a dad or without a mom. Or maybe you had just an absentee set of parents. And if that would be the case, then it could be very well understood why you would have this desperate need to be loved and nurtured, although you don't know all that it is, but you're hungering after this experience. And yet it's hard to connect to the Lord because anything you now think about, an authority figure, that must be, that's how God is. God's like that because that's all that I really know. Now, can you ever change? Does that mean that you need medication and you have to be institutionalized? I doubt very seriously. But what I do know is the more you get into God's word after you have trusted Christ as Savior then the Lord knows you. He will reveal himself to you through the, through the word. And as you experience him through the word you now can begin to experience an authentic relationship with an authority figure God who at one side he has judgment at the other side he has mercy and in the very center of it He has wisdom to know the balance so that you could become a fully obedient worshiper of God accurately. And that's a promise of the Lord. So he really knows you. He knows what makes you tick and he knows what makes you tick. He hardwired you with a personality. You ladies, he made you women. You men, he made you male. He made you because in his mind he had a divine plan for your life. He knows you. You're not a snowflake in the blizzard of humanity. You're not an oops or an uh uh-oh at birth. I want you to know that God has a plan for your life. And if you believe that, and you should, if you believe that and you do, then I encourage you to discover what is God's purpose for your life and then do it no matter the cost. It starts with loving Him and reaching out and then discovering that plan that he has for your life. He knows you intimately. Let's go back to the passage, because not only does he know you, and you can now know him, because you're the sheep of his pasture. The second is the fact that a good shepherd not only loves his sheep, but he sacrifices for them. And you're going to see that uh, frequently in this passage. Pick it up at verse 11. Verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Again, getting ready for them to realize what a good shepherd's like. A good earthly shepherd will make sure the sheep are saved physically, etc. So he lays his life down to protect them. If you go a little bit further in the passage, you can now drop down, if you will, to verse 14. And it says here, I'm the good shepherd and I, I know you and you know me. And in verse 15, as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life. So it says at the second time. You drop down to verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. You see it a third time in verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. Again, in verse 18, the fifth time, he says, I have authority to lay it down. So he's one who totally sacrifices for his sheep. You know, as I look out um, over humanity, maybe you could identify with this pretty well. And you probably have some great stories. And I invite you to email them to me if they're personal firsthand stories. But some of you know people that are involved in the law enforcement. When they sign up, they choose to sign up to put themselves in harm's way. Now, they do it wearing a vest. But I have to tell you that every police officer that I have an opportunity to speak to, and I'm glad that I don't speak very often, I don't get pulled over for, for speeding tickets and things, but there are times that I run into them. And when I do, I thank every single one of them because I don't know that I would ever on a dark night, on a dark street, pull over a lonely car and walk up to it and ask for them to hand me their license and registration. That takes a lot of courage. What he's choosing to do by a profession, he says, I will get in front of you and take the bullet for you to protect you. That's laying your life down. I think of firemen. Now, I don't mind chasing the fire truck, but I will not follow a fireman into a burning building. These guys, they don't run from the fire. They run into the fire, and the purpose isn't they like smoke and flame and heat. It's because they're there for one thing. They says, whatever I have and all that I, the equipment that I have, everything I've been trained to do is to take you, who at this point is helpless, and I want to bring you out safely. I think of those EMT guys. Now, you don't think of them as being on the front line, but they're the ones that have to go out on a dark, stormy, rainy night after there's a horrible wreck, and cars have skidded off to the side of the road, and they're trying to Extricate someone from a vehicle to bring them out so they can get better help. They, too, are putting themselves in harm's way everywhere they go. And if you read the newspapers, you will see how some bizarre people will often call them over and then hold them hostage, threatening their lives, EMT people. And how can you get away from all of our military person, whatever branch they may be in? We might think that the little simple one is the Coast Guard. It might have been many years ago, but now they're the ones that are on the front line of drug running on much of our waterways around the United States. And the rest of you that are involved in military, every one of you, when you signed up, you did not sign up so that you would run from the enemy. You signed up that you would protect and to serve America no matter the cost, wherever they sent you. And then with all of those illustrations, how many of you can think of someone or have read of someone who in the midst of that firefight to save the fellow comrades They were the ones that went into the building. They're the ones that jumped on the grenade. They were the ones that did what they needed to do. All of them laid down their life. And may I just end this little list and not forget that you don't have to be a policeman, a fireman, EMS. You don't have to be in the military. All you have to be is a loving mother, a loving father, a loving brother or sister who when you see your children, your family in harm's way, that you step in front to protect them. Now, all of that in your own mind, you can sense what it was like when someone was willing to lay their life down. Now, I'd love to hear from some of you, and you could write it and say, I can write you this email today, Pastor, because someone laid down their life for me so that I would be spared. You write me that. I'd like to put that in my notebook. Now, that being said, it's a lot different between saying, I'm willing to lay my life down. He didn't say that he was willing to lay his life down, although I'm sure that was part of the motivation. But at the end of it all was, he did lay his life down. So since he did that, he said, I'm coming to lay my life down. He laid his life down. He made a promise. He kept a promise. Therefore, he is trustworthy. I respect him for who he is and what he's done. And that begins my healthier relationship with him. He sacrificed his life for me. Let's go to number three. You know what else he did to show himself so trustworthy in his character? Go back to the passage again. He says here in verse uh, 16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. You know, when I read that, here's what I read. I read that not only does he love, not only does he sacrifice, but he also wants to unite. He wants to bring his fold together. Now, I think he's more in context here, specifically in this event, talking about the other Jews he's all going to bring together. At the same time, when you run that teaching through the rest of the grid of progressive revelation, you're going to see that that is a beginning glimpse of him taking the Jews... And the Gentiles, and when they place their faith in Christ, they all become now a new entity called the church. And so now we have all one shepherd. So he's not shepherding the Jews. He's not shepherding the Gentiles. In a sense, he's not shepherding a particular denomination or religion. We separate all of that for a moment, and he says, I shepherd only those who are my sheep, and my sheep are everywhere, and I'm going to unite them all following the one shepherd, And you do that because here it is, here it is, John 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I'll just add a little bit. I am the good shepherd, the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, Jew, Gentile, no man can come unto the Father but by me. Now, the but by me That's where you get off in a lot of different denominations because the but by me, was it but by me through baptism, but by me keeping the commandments, but by me and a whole list of other things. If you go through scripture and not read denominational articles, you're going to find that Jesus says to get to the father, it's but by him, but by faith alone in him. John is the key book about having life through faith alone in him. So it's but by me, but by faith in me that gives you eternal life. And I'm telling you, that's what's going to unite all of us. And the key, I think, is when he says one flock and one shepherd. We only have one shepherd. And so I often tell people that you might call me the shepherd of this flock, but in reality I'm not. You have the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, which is the Lord, I'm nothing more than just an under shepherd, an under rower, we might say. I get my orders from him. I'm a sheep just like you are. He's my shepherd just like he's your shepherd. You have direct access to him and like I have direct access to him, so you don't have to come to me and I take it to the Lord. We're all in this together, but we need to follow that great shepherd. So here's my question to you. Do you believe that he is worthy of your trust? Do you believe truly that he loves you with all of his heart, soul, and mind? Did he prove his love, his intimacy, by knowing you when he went to the cross? He knew you were a sinner. Therefore, you needed a Savior, and that payment was Christ. And do you know that he can be trusted because his character says, and I want to bring you into my forever family of other believers. Watch this. You are not alone. You have me as the shepherd, but you have the community of the redeemed of the flock. One flock one shepherd, and we're in this together. So folks, don't ever feel like you're all alone out there. You do have the community of the redeemed. And most important, you have Jesus Christ as the great shepherd. And let's go back to the passage because I want to give you the second and final reason we can trust him in such a great way. We can trust his character, but we also can trust his power. We can trust his power. Let's go back to the passage and you'll see what I mean. Notice how a few moments ago we were making a A major case at five times in this passage, it says, who lay down his life for the sheep. But there's something that's equally important. And if you'll follow along, if you will, in verse 17, he says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life. Now underline it so that I may take it again. Now, remember, this is the pre-resurrection comment. He's saying, I laid down my life, but I'm letting you also know that I can take it up again. And that's what he did. So he says, that I may take it again. Now, he amplifies that a little bit further. In verse 18, he says, no one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. So in other words, he chose to put himself in a situation where that he would be, quote, executed in laying down his life. And then it goes on to say, same passage. He says, I have authority. That means I have the right and the power to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, this commandment I have received from my Father. Listen to what he says in Matthew 26 to Peter. He says this, Put the sword back in its place. By the way, let me set this up. If you recall, they're right there near the end when Christ is being um, going through this mock trial, and as they're coming to pick him up now, you remember Peter drew out his sword, and one of the guys are coming at him, and so Peter swung at him, and when he did, he cut off the man's ear. And the Lord says, wait a second, we're not going to do that. And he heals his ear, and here's what he says. He says to Peter, put back your sword in its place. He says, don't you think I can call on my father? and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels, basically saying, I don't care how many Romans come, I don't care how much weaponry they have, I don't care how much they have the support of their own government to come to take me to a place where I will be executed, I still have authority over them and over all the rule, and I can call down from my Father all the heavenly arsenal I need to stop this thing. That's saying, I have the authority to do that. I have the power to do that. Later on, he says this in the same chapter. He says, when he was up on the cross, it says, and when Jesus died in the King James, it says, and he gave up the ghost. Others says he gave up the spirit. New American says he yielded his spirit, which means nobody took his life. He did it himself. Now, folks, when you're sharing this with others, this is critical. You see, back in those days, the Gentiles, meaning the Romans then, they could... Go ahead and listen to all the arguments that were out there. But when it became a religious issue, it had to be brought to them by the religious community, this case, the Jews. The Jews had a major problem with Jesus. We've been studying that all along. So they got so fed up with Jesus and who he was and who he was claiming to be, they decided that it was now time for him to be crucified. Pilate comes along and says, you really want to do this? I can give you something else that seems to be a lot worse than this man, Jesus. And they said, no, 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 we want Jesus. Let him be crucified. And so then they went ahead. And they said, you know what? We Jews, we can't do this. It's our holy weekend. This is something we can't do. We don't have the right to execute. But the Romans can. So then they delivered him under the the Romans. So what happens simply is this. The Jews can give the indictment against Jesus, but the Romans could carry it out. And so some people will say that we Christians are against the Jews because the Jews are the ones that killed Christ. They didn't kill Christ. Others will say, well, we're so upset at the Gentiles. Look what they did to Jesus. This poor person died. I'm going to say that's not it at all. I read recently there was an actor who was a very staunch Roman Catholic, Martin Sheen, and he was uh, beginning to talk about his faith, that he has some bit of a faith thing. And I don't know that it's a faith in Jesus Christ alone, but when they asked him about what he thought of Christ, his answer was simply this. He said, you know, who wouldn't want to follow Christ? You know, he started this whole thing called Christianity, and look at he had the whole world against him, and he decided to take it on. So he's the greatest revolutionary that ever lived. And I I look at all of that, and I I hear that, but I want you to know that, you know, whatever Jesus did, it was not the Jews, it wasn't the Romans. Jesus says, I laid down my life, it's my choice, I paid for your sin, I came back to life again, it's all done by me. So he was in control of the thing from beginning to end. That's the power. Now listen, I certainly would like to have someone that I can trust in that's got character. But when they don't have character that's sustainable, then their character could be pretty um, unstable, could be very waffling. You don't know how, how consistent that character is going to be.
1: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible.